Hello, everyone. Patriot Underground here. And I just wanted to take a couple of minutes to discuss the importance of protecting your money with precious metals like gold and silver. Now, obviously, we are in the midst of an ongoing financial collapse. And over the past several months, starting with the fiasco of Silicon Valley Bank and then First Republic, which was the second largest U.S. bank collapse in history, we're gradually seeing the big fish swallow up the little fish in an attempt to prevent all of us from having a safe harbor to protect our assets in this coming storm. And we know that this is going to intensify because regardless of what the Federal Reserve does at this point, they're in a no-win situation. It doesn't matter whether they raise interest rates. It doesn't matter whether they raise the debt ceiling because the fundamental problem is that a critical mass of countries represented by the BRICS nations are dumping treasury bonds and refusing to accept payment in non-precious metal-backed currencies. The reality of the matter, folks, is that 85-plus percent of the world is leading the charge on de-dollarization, particularly for international trade settlement. And this has reverberating effects throughout the entire economy. United States Treasury bonds are already in default behind the scenes because the Fed cannot acquire any new buyers to purchase the debt. And so their only option is to print more money in order to cover these obligations. And in the process, we all watch inflation skyrocket and the purchasing power of the dollar continually decline. So the simple truth is that precious metal-backed currencies are not only the wave of the future, but they're also the foundation of our original constitutional economy. And this is what we're returning back to. The time to continue gambling in the stock market has long since passed, folks. And the window of opportunity to get on board with precious metals ahead of the transition into the new quantum financial system is closing rapidly. We all know that the $32 trillion in debt and the almost $5 trillion in new taxes proposed by fake Biden is just more proof of the insolvency of the private Western Central Bank to which all of your stock market investments are tied in most 401k and IRA accounts. And so even though your retirement accounts are being mirrored onto the quantum financial system, when the EBS is triggered and the mirroring process stops, there's going to be a massive panic, a rush for the exits. And we know that at that point, it'll be too late to salvage your hard-earned wealth. It's been projected that we could be looking at up to a 50% decline in stock market value. Who knows? It could be even more. So folks, it's very wise at this point to take decisive steps to protect everything that you've worked so hard to earn. And that's why I've partnered with the best company in the business to help my audience make this critically important financial maneuver while they can, and also put themselves into a position to capitalize on the rising price of precious metals as the fiat economy tanks, and the banks all collapse like dominoes. Mark my words, this will be happening over the next several months. And so now is the time, folks. Don't wait. Click on the link in the description for patriotundergroundgold.com, and I promise you, you will be very happy that you did. Folks know that I don't believe in coincidences. I believe that the Lord is giving all of us the opportunity to have this type of foresight so that we can make the right choices to protect our financial resources. 
Additionally, I just want to mention that PatriotUndergroundGold.com is currently offering up to 10% free silver for qualified accounts. And this is only for a limited time to sweeten the deal for my listeners. So be sure to take advantage of that while you still can. PatriotUndergroundGold.com, folks. Click the link in the description. Don't wait. Get started today. All right, folks. Thank you for listening. God bless and Godspeed. Patriot out. There we go. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Patriot Underground. Today is July 20th, 2023. Thank you so much for joining me, folks, to discover the truth beneath the surface. As always, I really do appreciate everybody out there taking the time to listen. So today, it's my great pleasure to welcome back Dr. Jim Willie to the show. He is a world leader in financial forecasting and an incredible source of analysis and information. Every month, he provides the hat trick letter over at the great website, golden-jackass.com, of which he is the editor. And you can go to that website. I'm going to put a link in the description. You can sign up for that top-notch financial intel. And Jim also offers one-on-one consulting sessions that many folks out there in the audience have benefited greatly from, I can tell you. And given all that's unraveling in the world, certainly, Jim, there's a lot to talk about today. Very excited about our discussion. So welcome back. Well, it's good to be back. Uh, it's turning out to be a nice monthly visit. And uh, I, I did, I, I posted my first public article in three years, almost three years yesterday. And uh, it, it's on a, a very juicy topic, a couple of topics. All right. Excellent. Well, why don't we just dig right in today? Because we got a lot to discuss. Now, certainly, I think that given the U.S. government treasury bond scenario being in default behind the scenes. This is something that you've been delving into quite heavily lately. I wanted to ask you about some more of the key indicators that you know basically are pointing to the fact that the debt is insurmountable at this point. It's becoming increasingly obvious to the entire world, and certainly the BRICS alliance is expanding as a result. And now we know that the treasury is not receiving regular income from the Fed. And therefore, we're seeing more pressure to borrow, which means increasing the debt ceiling, a desire to raise interest rates to attract treasury bond investors. But none of these tactics seem to be working. So why don't we start there and have you sort of break down for us the overall paradigm that I described in some more detail. And then we can get into some of the geopolitical factors that are contributing to this overall puzzle as this de-dollarization process accelerates. You know, we we picked a fight with a big, big, not a bully, a big, big schoolyard player called Russia. We picked a fight. Uh, these Russian sanctions that started with the Maidan coup. And, you know, I don't want to get locked up with the Ukraine issue right right now. But let it be known that in 2014, when Victoria Newland at the State Department and Hillary at the head of the State Department with the help of the Mossad uh, conducted a coup in Ukraine. It's called the Maidan coup. With that came lots of different measures to piss off Russia, like uh, London and Swiss assets, in, in, mainly in their banks were frozen. Some of them were stolen. Okay, you could freeze something, but unless you do something with the frozen fund, they remain frozen. Uh, now they're selling them off 
and stealing Russian assets. Okay, they closed out the SWIFT. Uh, they made international transactions with Russia very difficult. Um, they made obstacles for Gazprom, which has not been in the news for quite a long time. Mm. Uh, the gas shipments through Ukraine. And then, you know, he had the workarounds through Turkey, Turkish stream, it was called. Okay, the point is that we picked a fight with Russia and they said, okay, screw you guys, we'll de-dollarize. And they reduced their $160 billion treasury holdings to zero. They did that in about two years. And, you know, Patrick, what seems to have happened is the result of the maiden coup and the sanctioning of Russia has been the default of the U.S. government debt and their treasury bonds. Um, this is a very big pill to swallow for a lot of people. What I have found, and, and this is coming you know, from an interesting little venture, uh, on two occasions, uh, a woman did a consult call with me and was so pleased and you know we had a good time we talked about a lot of really interesting things and made a lot of progress and opened her eyes on some things and she informed me on a few things and each woman asked me to talk to her husband <clears throat> a successful businessman and one of them was a lot more confrontational in a subtle way not that difficult for me because I want to tell him he's an idiot and I can't because they're paying me to consult. Um, <clears throat> the conclusion I reached, <clears throat> pardon me, I got a frog. <clears throat> the conclusion Hi. I reached was that successful people who have a career inside the United States that involves some heavy duty finance, you know, property development that involves heavy duty mortgages and commercial loans if not, you know, bond floating. Mm -hmm. um, what I've noticed is that those people are very biased and a bit closed-minded without a decent perspective of the rest of the globe. What I'm trying to say is they don't know what the hell's going on outside the United States. Uh, one guy said to me, and I may have mentioned this in the last uh, interview with you, um, he said that if the BRICS nations don't use the dollar across their systems and for trade settlement, they're going to isolate themselves. Mm -hmm. And I said, how does a group with 80% of the global economy become isolated? <laughs> and that took him for a real pause and changed the tone of the rest of the hour that we had for the consult call. The point is that a lot of people inside the United States, especially successful business folks, <clears throat> don't know what the hell is going on outside the United States. Um, I've had numerous consult calls where they never even knew what the bricks were. Yeah, I heard about that a few years ago. I'm not sure. What, what, what are the bricks again? Okay, unbelievable. <clears throat> okay, some of the indicators that I point to Okay, you mentioned that the Fed is not providing uh, bond yield income for the Department of Treasury. It's because they're raising interest rates and their bonds are underwater now. Their bonds are 
below, what do you call it? Below par value. The, the principal is losing, uh, losing money. I got, you know, this is the fed shooting itself in the legs. And as they continue to raise rates, it's the fed shooting itself in the testicle region. If they continue to raise rates, they're going to shoot themselves in the chest. And that is potentially fatal. Um, Okay, that's one item. The Fed is not providing interest from bond yields. <clears throat> I was noting at the uh, debates and the backroom brawls for the debt ceiling uh, settlement resolution, the deal, <clears throat> I was noticing that it took a long time. Usually those things take about three, four, five days. We've had 20 of them. <laughs> Not a new deal. <clears throat> Why did this one take so long? I can't tell you that it was like, you know, two weeks and two days or whatever. I just noticed it took a long time. And I believe sincerely with, with full conviction that behind closed doors, they were told we're already in default. So how do we handle this now? We don't want to come out with a statement saying, well, due to the current default, we're going to do the following. Okay? No, right. It doesn't work that way. Anyway, what they did was something quite consistent with my firm belief that we're already in a default. They said they're going to have an unlimited ceiling. They'll just keep raising it. To me, that meant they're in a default. They realize they're in a default. It's going to fail. And when it fails, it fails. Okay, I know that's kind of glib, but mm -hmm. I mean what I say. No, yeah. Mm -hmm. They're going to let the external forces, it's indirectly what they're saying, indirect, that the external forces are going to bring a collapse to this. And they'll just raise the debt, increase the debt Until as much as necessary yeah. mm -hmm. to keep going. It's like saying, you know, we're on a hill and we're going to get knocked off the hill, but we're going to continue dancing until we're knocked off the hill. Um, <clears throat> well, fine. There are more indications. There was a moan, a big moan about a, a month ago that the primary bond dealers, which is a group of, I don't know exactly, I, I was told it was like 12 or 15 banks they're moaning because under contract, they must buy whatever is not sold at bond auctions. Now, they might have, they might have to swallow a few hundred billion dollars worth, and they can't do that. So there was a moan and a warning, and I took that to mean the Fed made some calls to them and said, don't worry, just make your bid, make your buy. When it comes time to pay... We'll pay for it and we'll put it on our balance sheet and you won't croak. Mm. Those are some of the, I'm not really sure what to call them. They're kind of quasi Wall Street banks. They're not huge. They got a long-term relationship with Wall Street banks and their primary bond dealers. Okay. There, there are other indications that are quite stark and are not in the news. <clears throat> Just like the U.S. Mint shut down silver sales, the Department of Treasury 
canceled some treasury auctions. That is anathema, you know, curse. That's taking your hemlock. If you announce to the world that the bond associated with the global reserve currency canceled an auction, then it raises questions like, is that because there are no buyers? Like, is that because there are too much of them in volume? Like, you guys in default? Okay, there are lots and lots of signals. Here's another one that's a little bit, <clears throat> a little bit of a curveball. Um, we had Silicon Valley Bank, we had First Republic, we had First Heritage, we had Silvergate, they all failed and they were all taken over by JP Morgan. And the takeovers, I think, were completed by the end of April. Then you saw a thousand layoffs from First Republic, primarily the San Francisco office. And I regard that to mean we might be seeing the vacating of San Francisco as a city. It might be emptied out. I'll just, just throw that out as a little zinger. I love zinger. I like using the word zinger because zing, zing sounds really cool. <laughs> anyway, First Republic had a thousand layoffs and, and that was a big shock uh, to the system. And for me, it was a shock that indicated um, that maybe we're in a more dire situation with treasury default, government debt default. <clears throat> that is interfering with the JP Morgan plan. Remember Janet Yellen back in April said, we want a super bank and they, they indirectly, it was implicit that JP Morgan would be the super bank because they were doing the acquisitions. Mm -hmm. And it's really kind of funny and pathetic at the same time because JP Morgan is insolvent, which means that their assets do not cover their liabilities, especially when their liabilities are a big fat lie because they're not marking to the market, they're marking to book, they're marking to maturity. <clears throat> so a big super insolvent bank is acquiring other broken banks that went bankrupt, which means they're insolvent and they ran out of money. Insolvent and lost liquidity means you're broke, you're dead, you're bankrupt, you have a failure. Okay, so JP Morgan, here's the, the hint, the hint for you know debt default likelihood growing. JP Morgan halted their acquisitions. I did not hear of any, I may, I may have missed one. I did not hear of any more JP Morgan acquisitions in May and June, and here we are in July. And, and you know, in the summer, these guys don't work real hard in the merger acquisition departments. And also it could be <laughs> that JP Morgan's merger and acquisition office might have suffered some layoffs, some re resignations, and some death by vax. I'm mm -hmm. not joking around. Um, there are other hints out there that something very bad is happening in bond land. And that is more and more nations are following the Japanese lead. And in a 12-month period ending in January, I reported this in the March newsletter, I believe it was around March, uh, a Japanese central bank dumped $240 billion. Okay, divide by 12, and you get about two, 20, <laughs> sorry, you get about, about $20 billion, billion a, month. Dollars a month. 
Oh, yeah, right <laughs> sorry. Yeah, sorry, I'm not a math, math guy either. Yeah. Math major here. Uh, math major. Uh, $20 billion a month they're dumping. Now, I can tell you that that is enough to spark the Fed to make deals by phone call so that doesn't hit the bond market as supply. Okay. There are other indications that things are getting really bad in the bond land, and that is announcements of the yield curve control. And I think what is happening there, and so do my colleagues, I got a sharp bunch of traditional finance colleagues and a sharp bunch of digital type crypto colleagues. And there's only one guy in common. I wish I could join them all, but I can't. I can't just can't do that. Okay. What we're concluding, and it's mainly three guys in my colleague group. They talk about it a lot. The yield curve control is really a return to quantitative easing. Uh, they're managing the yield curve by exercising QE methods without using the QE name, because if they got back to talking about QE as a policy, and I'll tell you what that means in a minute, if they talked about QE and used QE in their terminology, there would be a widespread global impression that there are no bond buyers. And they don't want that. To yeah, be they're getting. printing. They're printing money because there are no bond buyers, right? That's the whole purpose of QE. That, that is what QE. QE is quantitative easing. Now, where did that term come from? This is not a simple concept, but it's got a brief description. In the past, when they wanted to have a tremendous relief of of a problem, they would print money but they would drain the banking system on an equal basis. And that was called sterilized. When they just print money to cover a problem and don't drain the banking system, it's unsterilized. And that is quantitative easing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I don't like the word easing. It's quantitative printing. It, it's just yeah. heavy volume monetary printing. That's what QE is. Yeah. Okay. It sounds better so than just printing money out of thin air. It's got a nice yeah range. you know they come out with the the keynesian holy water it's all good because <laughs> it's done by the united states no it's zimbabwe and and chile central bank policy and the same outcome will result okay so we, we've got yield curve control which means they're trying to reduce the bond spreads or they're trying to eliminate a flattened bond spread, a flat yield curve. One or the other, that's yield curve control. I think, okay, let me just let me just spout some very unusual, very, what's the word? It's not, not illogical, it's uh it's ironic. Ironic. It's not a paradox, it's ironic. If we end up having a widespread U.S. government debt downgrade, which has not been in conversations much. If we do a downgrade, that will mean a, a lot of people actually think, well, that means they're gonna, a lot of 
agencies and insurance firms and pensions, they're all going to have to dump treasuries. No! Treasuries are the primary collateral. So if they get downgraded, they're going to have to buy more. It'll be an absolute avalanche of purchases of treasury bonds, and it will flatten the yield curve like a flat EKG, like a dead man. Okay? This is a very ironic point that my guys have come up with and they, they, they developed it last month and it made a lot of sense and it's very unusual thinking. But there's one downgrade right now, it's Standard & Poor, but Fitch and what's the other one, Moody's, they've not. They've not downgraded and I don't think they will. I think there's a gun at their head so they won't. Okay, this is very weird, very ugly stuff. The other big indicator out there is something that's outside our borders. I've I mentioned quite a few indicators inside our borders. There, there, there are more. But outside, it's Project Sandman or the Sandman Initiative, where they talk about 24 to 48 hour dumping $2 trillion of treasury bonds on the market, you know, within that one to take one to two day period. And that will freeze the bond market, not with phone calls to the Fed, just dumping it on the treasury bond market, freezing, locking, essentially a big sledgehammer on the head. Mm -hmm. Um, and I have been making a point. I've given this a lot of thought. I've been investigating. I've been talking with a number of smart people. Um, I believe a threat not used is valued more and has more potential impact than a threat used. Mm -hmm. So I'll give you an example. Um, at the St. Petersburg uh, International Economic Forum, SPIEF, uh, that an, an acronym acronym is going to be more popularly known. Uh, they did not mention exactly what they were doing on a gold-backed payment system or currency at the Russian St. Pete meeting. And I think that there were no big events. There was no sabotage. There was no anthrax threat. There was no murders. There were no major leaks and controversial bullshit to disrupt matters. And I think, Patrick, this is just my thinking. It's because they had the threat in their quiver, in their ammo box of Project wow. Sandman. Leave us alone or else. So that they could okay. basically go ahead with their plans, which obviously, because they don't want them sabotaged, they're not going to put them out there, but so that they could go ahead with their plans with a minimal amount of, shall we say, interference or infiltration attempts because of the threat of Sandman is what you're saying. Yes, that's exactly what I'm saying. And and furthermore, I don't believe in the August meeting in South Africa, I heard it's in Durban. I don't believe that the, the BRICS nations are going to lay it all out there either. Here's what I think is no, going to, they're going to do. Okay. That, 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 that kind of closes out my, my, my theme, the theme that you open and the theme that I'm trying to close here. Okay. Um, indications of trouble in Bondland, uh, Project Sandman and the BRICS 
going about their development, going about their plans. Okay, what I think is going to happen is that the BRICS are not going to lay it all out in August any more than they did in May. Now, I noticed with great anticipation what's going to come out of the May 23rd final day at St. Petersburg. And I told my buddies, I think they're going to give a little bit of a hint and they're not going to tell much. They're going to have it close to the vest. They're going to make decisions behind closed doors. They're not going to have the press uh, invited. They're not going to have press conferences on their plans. And they're going to proceed ahead. And what they did was they said, we're going to increase our connectivity between platforms and the methods of communication for the, the entire process. I call that cables and connectivity. Okay, if they're going to join with the SCO exchange, bonds, currencies, and gold and oil, connectivity that must come about, and it's not going to come about quickly. And, you know, th there's a very unusual phenomenon that's becoming quite clear and will be in the history books. The Asians and the Easterners are not great at developing banking platforms, payment systems, bond market, debt security linkage, import-export bank. They're not really good at it. And okay. that leaves the door open for the Anglo-American Swiss to go about with takeovers and impose their own corrupt integration. So the BRICs are going to take their sweet time, and I'll tell you why, in announcing what they're doing because they don't want to be accused of causing the government, U.S. government debt default they don't want to be accused of the bond default of the treasuries, and they don't want to be accused of collapsing U.S. major banks. They want that all to happen under the weight of $32 trillion in debt growing by a trillion every five or six months. We're running a Ponzi game. The BRICS nations are openly say, stating we have to get rid and divest. That's, that's the nice word. Dump is the nasty word. Get rid of is the slang word. They have to divest of their treasury bonds because they're invalid, because they're on the edge of default, because they'll never be repaid. The, the opinion now globally, Patrick, is that the treasury bonds will never be repaid. I heard, and I'll just mention it in the context that I heard it. A client said to me, Jim, I got word from a guy who's quite connected in the finance world. This was in May that there was a redemption of treasury bonds at 40 cents on the dollar. I said, who was it? He said, I, I don't know. I'll try to find out. And he couldn't find out. So I believe they are dumping their treasuries and getting less than 100 cents on the dollar. I believe they're getting less than even 65 to 70 cents on the dollar. That constitutes a default. They're keeping it quiet because they don't want the word to get out. They don't want to start an avalanche. They don't want to have a naturally developing Sandman event. Okay. 
Whew. <laughs> All right. Well, that was here's awesome. What, Go ahead. Here's what I think they're going to do in close quarters on a bilateral basis. That means like Russia and Bulgaria. They're going to do trade settlement. They're going to use a a device. I'll just call it a device right now. I'll describe it later. They're going to use a device between Russia and Bulgaria. It might also be used with Romania. These are oil and gas dependent countries. Uh, they're in the former Soviet bloc, so they got good relations with the Russian Gazprom and all those, you know, Russian oil, Euro, Ural oil grade. They, they, they got their relationship. <clears throat> Other bilateral agreements would be, say, with China and uh, let's just say Philippines, uh, China and Singapore, bilateral payment. They will use a device and they will not talk about it. They will not publish it publicize it they'll go about their business what business is it of the swiss american and british bankers what the russians and bulgars do what the chinese and the philippines filipinos and singaporeans do none of their damn business so they'll do it behind closed doors and actually i, I believe high security atmosphere mm -hmm. and iran will have their own payments for, say, gas shipments to many Arab nations um, and food shipments to many Arab nations. By the way, Iran, Persia, Persia is a big food exporter. Yep. I get that word from somebody who's well-connected in the Saudi UAE, Iran region. So the Iranians, Persians, will have their device. And here's where it gets interesting, Patrick. I don't think the device is going to be the same one used by three parties that I just described, Russia, China, Iran. Tom Luongo is calling it the RCI BRICS now, Russia, China, Iran. Why? Because RCI is running the show. Mm -hmm. that, that's where the decisions are making. That's where the, the boardroom is. That's where the decisions are made. It's where policy is made. And that's where contracts are written and where assignments are made. Go do this. Go there and get a deal. Go enlist, say, Indonesia and the Persian and the Pacific Rim. That was a big deal last June or so. And this is what Iran okay. is doing, right? They're functioning as yeah. sort of the recruitment tool or a recruitment, recruitment arm. Tool. I, yeah. I, I call them the, the BRICS agent. And, and more formally, I call them the ombudsman. Uh, they they went to Argentina to get them enlisted. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Persia did. I call it Persia now as much as I call it Iran. It's the same thing. Uh, they actually prefer the name of Persia. Uh, I've got this very vocal guy. I love him. He, he's full of information and he's full of threats, not to me, uh, but to the people who are, let's just say, pissing, pissing on Persia. Uh, and he's given me some indications on how much gold they have. I, I tried to pin him down. I said clever things like, well, I'm pretty sure the Persians have more than 20,000 tons of gold that they don't want to get into the Rothschild hands. And he said, oh, yeah. Then I, then I said, this is a mathematical tool. 
bracket. Then I said, well, you know, they probably don't have 50,000 tons, though. And he said, no, probably not. I said, more like 40, 30 to 40. He said, I don't know. I don't know exactly, but those are good estimates. Okay, so 30 to 40,000 tons of gold. That's why we hate Iran, Persia, because they won't make it available. And uh, I don't want to get into Ayatollah Khomeini. He spent 15 years in France. If that doesn't tell you something, then you're not very intelligent. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> All right. So here's what I think they're going to do. And and this is a result of, of a lot of personal thinking, uh, a lot of consulting with uh, Euro Raj, my, my, con uh, my colleague from about, about seven years now. He's been very valuable. He's a great guy. He's a funny guy. He's a generous man. Um, he doesn't want me to talk about where he is or what he's doing, and so I don't. <clears throat> and he's very generous by saying things like, you know, Jim, anytime you want to take my idea, take my concept that, pardon me, that gets discussed within our jackass crew of colleagues, take it as your own. That's okay. It's okay. You're doing a newsletter. It's a product of your colleague you know, think tank, call it your own idea. I said, well, I, I do some, I, I don't a lot. <clears throat> if they were to come up, and I got to say that for months and months, I thought they were going to come up, the BRICS, that is, with a gold-backed currency or a gold-backed central bank digital currency. Mm -hmm. and, and that's a big, big project because a currency in a strict sense is an official medium of exchange and settlement for debt within a country. And, and it invites and opens the door for a bond market. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> but the BRICS have what they call the BRICS Development Bank or the BRICS Bank. And that's gonna be a very interesting th thing to watch because It'll act, I think, like an import-export facilitator. It'll act like a development bank in a pure sense, like you know, laying out capital for a port or railroad or, or like a, a turbine generating plant, whatever. <clears throat> if they have an actual currency, they're going to have all kinds of difficulties and challenges, like, say, budgets and deficits and interest rates and price inflation targets and employment mandates mm -hmm. and, and other things that we can't think of because they're on the other side of the globe and they don't think like we do and they've got different cultures. <clears throat> like po policy toward, you know, like welfare, you know, guaranteed food program, wh whatever. Um, I think what they're gonna do Patrick, and it's becoming, you know, with each passing week, not day, it's becoming more clear that it's an easier project to pull off. The challenge with the BRICS now to replace the dollar is monumental, historically unprecedented, and possibly more than they can handle. However, a challenge to produce a device used for trade payment settlement, net settlement, might be easier 
if it's only a payment token, oh, a gold-backed okay. right. payment token, a digital token. Strictly for the purpose of one. trade settlement. And that's the difference trade is settlement? that it doesn't invite in all the other complexities of rolling out a currency. I agree. And whenever I say trade settlement, I try to include contract settlement. Like if you're going to build in Brazil a, a, a giant uh, grain elevator, port facility, rail system with an elaborate extended port, multi-year construction, you're going to have two or three or four countries involved in there for contracts. Mm -hmm. I don't want to get any, you know, cement, everything, everything, lumber, cement, you, you name it. And much of it would be, would be provided locally, but <clears throat> there'd be a lot that would be like foreign contractors. Come. Okay. It's not just trade settlement. It's contract settlement. As, as Euroraj likes to say, an Indian company doing information technology in Saudi Arabia. Mm -hmm. Contract set in dollars. Third party contract in dollars. Third party financial unit in dollars. Okay. <clears throat> now. <clears throat> so like the invoice you're saying, in essence, for lack of a better word, would be in dollars, but they would use the trade settlement device, as you call it, to get around that? Or you could put a final Yeah, I, yeah. I was just giving an example of contract settlement in addition to trade settlement, but I opened the door to something that's very real. Um, and, and it's really kind of a sideline story to the BRICS. We're seeing a precedent set by India. India is buying, this is a sideline story for, for the, the main issue of the token, uh, the gold token. Um, India has a big oil contract with Russia, and I believe they're going to follow it with more. And it involves a lot of refining, refine, refinery work to produce gasoline, diesel, etc. Uh, they call them the distillates, the petroleum, the, the you know petrochemical uh, output, petrochemical output that includes nylon and a lot of different things. But distillates is diesel, gasoline, etc., jet fuel. Okay, and the Indian contract with Russia has a has an oil price with dollar unit, but not dollar payment. Therefore, it's dollar-based invoicing, as you say, Patrick. This is very interesting. And actually, they're using UAE dirham for payment because it's pegged to the dollar, but it's not the dollar. Therefore, <laughs> it cannot be sanctioned. This is getting very interesting, very complex, mm -hmm. very fast. India is selling diesel, gasoline, and oil to Europe, bypassing the sanctions. They're acting as an intermediary, pissing off the U.S. government. And there's nothing they can do about it because they're within the BRICS and the full weight of the BRICS is behind India. The invoicing could become a universal practice Imagine natural gas priced in dollars, but not paid in dollars. Imagine wheat, corn, and soy priced in dollars, but not paid in dollars. Imagine lumber, coal, cotton priced in dollars, not paid in dollars. You get the theme. 
the invoicing in brick <laughs> might be with the dollar. And I, the way I describe that is they're going to use the dead dollar to walk on its corpse for invoicing. <laughs> this is real interesting. <clears throat> okay. Back to the token. If they do a token, then it's nice to, to look. Pardon me for looking up. I just got a very beautiful wood wall and I, I like looking at it and, and a little raccoon is hanging down. I was, anyway, I'm not looking at the camera. I'm looking here. And I, some people oh, that's think all right. That I'm I, not even on I'm camera, so I can't complain. <laughs> okay. It would make sense and, and be prudent to look for um, an example. Uh, what is the model? What are they going to do? Okay, a gold token. Sounds good, Jim. What is it? Well, it's a crypto. It's going to be gold-backed. It'll be a tokenized item. You can buy it by means of paying gold, or you can buy it by means of providing economic output in goods or services. That is a wrinkle. That is a big wrinkle because that means a gold a gold holder and a goods and service provider come together, make a handshake, and on the table is the gold token. That's where they meet, where gold meets goods and services. This is very interesting. This is evolution and development. Pardon me. When I talk, I tickle my nose hairs. Um, so they're going to tokenize all of these goods and services. Is that what you're saying? I think so. But not um, their assets, or, right? Well, you know, it might not be tokenized in the contract. It it might be invoiced in the in the dollar dead corpse. Um, okay, we're going to see a transformation of what the dollar even means. What is a dollar? Well, it's going to, I think, become an invoice item and a market unit. This is very interesting stuff. But those who provide good, let's just say someone who, uh, a company provides, you know, hundreds of thousands of board feet of lumber. Well, they're not going to tokenize their lumber necessarily. They're going to have an invoice. They're going to have a contract. They're going to have a payment. And, and when the payment comes, there's going to be at the national level, when they do the net, subtract this from that and what's the net they're going to do net settlement with the token each individual contract is not going to be settled with token it's the global bilateral two countries settling like on a monthly or quarterly basis on a net basis okay brazil provided this to, to china and china provided this to brazil what's the net how's it going to be settled with the gold token in the bricks if they do that, it simplifies their entire world. They can go about dollar invoicing. They can go about making loans in, in rubles. They can make payments. Okay, this is where, you know, something also quite interesting is happening. We now have the Petro Yuan becoming standardized in the Iran. Saudi and UAE, the Emirates, are leading the way. They're mm -hmm. saying all oil and gas payments are in Yuan now. And the rest of the Gulf monarchies, which means Bahrain, Oman, 
Qatar, Kuwait, they say, okay, if the big boys are doing that, we will too. The big boys are Saudi and UAE. They're the major producers. <clears throat> okay. I, I'm, I'm going to switch gears a little bit here, um, Patrick. I, I've, I've talked about the token. I've talked about it, its, its remarkable features and simplicity. And I'm going to get into a transition uh, from the token to and from the Chinese Yuan. Um, they have a phrase. It's used in politics. It's used in business, a caretaker. Um, I think we're going to have a transitional um, situation here where the petrodollar, it, it is now dead. Uh, for those who don't understand it, the basis of the dollar since 1973 with the Arab oil embargo, I was a senior in college. I'm telling you, it was an exciting time, but it was a little bit scary. Um, senior in college, Jim Willie, yep, little Jimmy with all his hair. Um, I had a full head of hair then. You're going to have um, to send me a picture, Jim. Yeah, I have one from my freshman year I could send you. Um, the petrodollar became the standard because then the Arab nations led OPEC into having the petro reserve policy. Uh, whatever turned out to be a surplus for the OPEC nations led by Saudi, whatever was a surplus was kept in treasury bonds. I could go on for half an hour about that and, and a lot of weird things like the exchange trade, exchange stabilization fund. But I don't want to get into that because that's what got Rob Kirby murdered. That's right. I remember you saying that. Yeah. When the petrodollar became the de facto standard, it meant that the greatest commodity items, oil and gas, energy, became a dollarized unit for payment and for storage of surplus. Kissinger was the architect. And a lot of people think that it was an action by the Arabs. No, it was a suggestion by the Rockefellers. They said to the Arabs, we can quadruple the price of oil. The global economy will adjust. You know, windfall, profit... <laughs> Profit tax, you know, that, that's just a little sideline uh, blister, political blister. But you Saudis, you, you must agree to keep all of your savings in treasury bonds. We'll protect you militarily. And we will tax you one out of four bonds on a dollar basis. That's where the ESF comes in that I don't want to talk about. Furthermore, we will keep the region in a constant state of war and you must buy a lot of military hardware. That's Sounds ugly. About right. Sounds about right. Yeah. Sounds about right. Okay. Now, Iran entered the picture, asked to be part of the BRICS, got their blessing, and last week they got into the BRICS, so now there are two eyes in the BRICS. It's not Iraq and Iran, <laughs> as a friend of mine said. No, 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 wait a minute. It's India and India. Iran. Yeah. Okay. So we got two eyes in the bricks now. Okay. What I'm driving at, keeping my point, it's hard to stay focused when I go on little tangents, but I I I I I think I do okay coming doing back great to my point. Today, you're on point. The the Persian Gulf has dictated that the petrodollar is dead. 
it went so far as the Emirates and UAE announced that they were abandoning a U.S. military maritime protection alliance. So they're dismissing the Americans from military presence and protection in the Gulf region. That's huge. You're not welcome there anymore. That's the message. They're endorsing the yuan. And I believe they're not. Well, of course, they're making a petro yuan de facto standard, but I think it is a temporary device. I think it is a caretaker de facto standard that will be shoved aside in a matter of a year or two. <clears throat> now, if you've got a petro yuan standard for oil and gas, what does it mean? This is where rubber meets the road. And, and the standard has enormous implications. It means France, which bought UAE liquefied natural gas, LNG, in an April contract, I believe. It was priced in yuan. France bought Gulf natural gas with yuan in the contract. Wake up, people. France mm -hmm. soon won't. Hold treasuries. France soon will not buy U.S. treasuries. France will be dumping all their treasuries. There will be no treasuries in the French banks. Now, take that example of France and repeat it in 50 to 80 other countries. There will be no more treasury bonds purchased. Wow. They will all be dumped and exchanged for gold. I've talked about gold in the last couple months. Okay, they'll be dumping treasuries. They'll be buying gold. I gave some of the dynamics for that. It's all logistics, and it's not really simple. But what I'm focusing on now is that country after country, they're not just going to de-dollarize. They're going to just halt all dollars within their banking system and in their reserves management. Like, think of all the different countries that have a surplus. I was very surprised recently to hear that South Korea no longer has a surplus because they were gathering in their treasury bonds uh, month after month, year after year, building up a nice nest egg of Forex currency savings account. It's otherwise called Forex Reserves, National Savings Account, Central Bank Holdings of Bonds. The treasury bond used to be the number one. Now we've had the biggest decline. Here's another hint that I forgot at the beginning of the show, Patrick. For the last five, six, seven years, the decline in treasuries for Forex Reserve holdings has been going down. The decline has been notable and it's been going down. The ratio has been going down. The percentage has been going down, but it's been going down less than a percent each year. Suddenly it's gone from 60 something to under 50. In the last two years, we've had the biggest decline in history for U.S. Treasury bond holdings in Forex reserves for foreign central banks. You think that's been in the Wall Street Journal? You think that's been reading material for financial managers across the United States, managing pension funds, mutual funds, and, and what's the other one? Uh, insurance funds? Hell no, it's not. Okay. That's right. This is one of the biggest phenomenons in half a century, the de-dollarization of all U.S. allies, not enemies, 
because the Persian Gulf nations went strictly with yuan payments. And all of OPEC, that means Nigeria, Venezuela, Indonesia, the non-Arab OPEC nations. And who's laughing in the corner? The Kremlin. <laughs> we started this by confiscating and seizing their assets in European American banks. We started this by knocking them out of the SWIFT system for payments. We forced them to develop a non-dollar payment device. Again, I use that name, that word. We're going to hear the token called a non-dollar device. I call it a non-dollar device. Okay. A little, there's another point joined at the hip regarding this transitional period and the device used in transition like a caretaker, the Yuan. China is going to be very uncomfortable if a lot of countries are holding Chinese bonds. <laughs> They're just going to get a lot of nuisance questions, visits that they don't want, interference with policy. So I'm just mentioning that as a nuisance, the Chinese do not want a global reserve currency. <laughs> they don't want the reserve currency. Actually, it's become quite clear. This is like a late chapter to the Keynesian economics textbook. Whoever owns the reserve currency, if they happen to be an aggressive debtor, they lose their country's industry. And the United States is a very aggressive debtor, especially since we love war. Mm -hmm. That's exactly what's happened, right? And that's what's happened. We lost our industry. We had to ship out industry for foreign countries to buy our debt. And that bankrupted right. the United States and put us on a timetable with an hourglass, a big, big multi-decade hourglass, and we're out of sand. It's interesting they call it Sandman for dumping the treasury because what they're expecting to do, planning to do, threatening to do is dump the remaining sand of the hourglass. And right. we've got, okay, here's my point though. If the Chinese Yuan is a caretaker device, I'm not, it's a caretaker currency for satisfying energy payments. Russia has opened the door for XRP to be the same thing. And big news for people, the Iraqi dinar, as announced by the Baghdad-located Iraqi Central Bank, I think it's called the Reserve Bank of Iraq, RBI. That's not Reserve Bank of, wait a minute. No, CBI, CBI, Central Bank of Iraq. The CBI, Central Bank of Iraq, has announced that the new dinar will be linked with XRP. Time for oh, applause. Wow. Okay. Time for applause. Not in the Western news, but it's in the alternative news and it's in the digital news papers and websites. Wow, that's huge. I hadn't heard that. XRP is now part linked with a major. Okay, back to Iraq. They're an oil producer. Okay, once the United States began their nation building, <clears throat> fart cough, 
uh, of destroying their economy, <clears throat> nation building, fart cough, their oil output went down. Their U.S. Green Zone embassy became a huge eyesore. By the way, the Green Zone is one of the major trafficking centers on the globe. Ukraine and the Iraqi U.S. Embassy. <laughs> oh, my gosh. My goodness. Yeah. Bioweapons galore in Baghdad in the Green Zone. Yep. Not shocking. Not shocking. Okay, I don't want to get shocking at the that. same time, but yeah. I don't want to get caught up with that. But Russia announced back in May or so that because of the swift obstacles they were going to use on a limited basis, XRP. We shut that door, so Russia opened an XRP door. We shut the SWIFT, they opened the XRP. What I think is going to happen is Russia is going to use on a limited basis XRP for Eastern European trade settlement, in addition to their Russian gold-backed CBDC, in addition to any universally accepted BRICS gold token. What we might find, though, Patrick, is that the universal BRICS gold token is really a set of individual national gold tokens. The Russian BRICS token, the Chinese BRICS token, the Iranian Persian BRICS token. This is where I think we're heading. If they want multi-node and what do you call it, uh, decentralized then we might see their gold token decentralized. Would it not make sense? Yes. I'm all about logic. I'm all about, you know, intuition. And this is where I think we're heading. We might see XRP and the Chinese Yuan each used in numerous bilateral situations as a transitional currency leading to the gold token by the bricks which might have many different flavors mm, multi-flavored gold token bricks now i mentioned before and i didn't complete my thought if we're looking for an example maybe start but don't end with zimbabwe they announce a gold token they announce that you can use it to you can use your bank account dollars to buy the gold token. You can use the gold token as a separate account in your bank in Zimbabwe. Here's where it gets interesting. The gold token is not a currency, but it might be a unit in your bank account. Okay, for, for me, like I've got a local currency bank account. I've also got at the same bank, I've got a dollar bank account. I might later have bricks say chinese gold token account there's a big chinese presence in this little country where i am <clears throat> and in panama um i i don't want to get caught up in that uh, the transition involves i believe two caretaker sort of currencies XRP won a court case. The SEC, Securities Exchange Commission, announced that it's not a security. Right. 
Mm -hmm. Nobody has said it's not a currency. I think it's a quasi currency. That's what I think. And, and it doesn't really matter, you know, breaking down the definition of currency, but it's going to act like a currency. It's going to smell like a currency. Uh, it's going to have a function similar to a currency, but it's not a currency. It is a digitalized token. And here's where I think Russia is going to have an impact. I mentioned this before. I mentioned it again. XRP has a tight linkage from its original formation and introduction to gold. I think the Russians want to use XRP in order to increase the volume of its usage, which will force an increase of its volume of tokens. And at the same time, they can run up the gold price so that increase the number of tokens increase the value of tokens and that increases the market cap of the xrp token and in the locker room talk it'd be the russians put a hot poker up the anglo-americans ass <laughs> driving up the gold price as a reaction to shutting down swift for the russians and seizing their western assets Beautiful. It is a colossal FU. Now, back to Iraq. Iraq made an announcement that they're going to increase multiple levels, their oil output, and with Russian investment of capital. Do you see an XRP connection there? They announced that the new dinar once revalued We'll have an XRP linkage. The Russians want to use XRP more for certain, let's just say transfer payments, for whether they're trade settlement or contract, I don't really care. So we could be seeing Iraq acting as a model for the entire Arab oil producing world. Mm -hmm. You think we're going to see Qatar and UAE link XRP to their currencies? I think we will. I say, I say yes, absolutely. Okay, so those who've invested in XRP and who are, you know, emotionally floundering, take take heart. <laughs> and when it when it all happens, I'll be giving you uh, an opportunity to help me out with some of your vast new found wealth. <clears throat> okay. Um, you know, we, we got an hour here. I don't know. Is there something that's on your burner? Well, I mean, really you like to talk you've about? laid it all out, Jim. The only question I was going to ask maybe as a way to connect some of the dots that you've been uh, following with, you know, tracking all these different vectors, you've been talking a lot about the war between U.S. and the EU banks. And, you know, I thought it was very interesting. Maybe we could close out with your response uh, to this question. I thought it was interesting. You mentioned Janet Yellen a little bit earlier, perhaps after having in, ingested psychedelic mushrooms in China, she, uh, you know, she recently announced that no euro dollars can be transferred to the U.S. and that all of a sudden they're invalid. And so that is extremely significant because it really is tantamount, uh, tantamount rather to an outright admission of insolvency, because technically, really, that's a bond default. I, I think you would correct me if I'm wrong on that, right? We have told the Europeans that their bonds 
that our U.S. government treasury bonds are invalid. That is a default. We have quietly defaulted on a kissing cousin to the treasury bond, the euro bond, the euro mm -hmm. dollar. It's called the euro mm -hmm. dollar. And, and there's a lot going on. I think what we're trying to do here, and you know, th this is a, a very big topic, uh, and I'll be developing it in, in the July newsletter, but I think we're trying to force a euro dollar derivative failure. I think we're mm -hmm. trying to force big European bank failures because the migration of funds to the United States will buy the U.S. more time. That's we're right. trying to create a crisis with this banker war, the sharks in the tank. And BlackRock resides in the United States, but it's a European entity. Don't be fooled. Mm -hmm. The U.S. and European banks are at war. Here's another little element to the war. Um, the U.S. is raising rates. And for your information, higher interest rate goes hand in hand with higher oil price. So we're trying to harm the European economy. Because they import more oil, right? Because they import more oil. Ah, okay. And we're invalidating their euro dollars. We're trying to create, and we know that they're vulnerable from the Ukrainian money laundering gone, you know, to a trickle. And that's what Credit Suisse was all about. The Credit Suisse failure was about money laundering not arriving from Ukraine. Watch the euro dollar derivatives. In the next couple months or so, I think we're going to be hearing about European banks in trouble for their euro dollar derivatives we're trying to force it we're, we're cutting them off we're isolating them we're, we're disrupting their euro dollar transfers to the u.s banks the only thing we're not doing they're not taking them at the ports not... either right jim what's that they're not taking the uh the, the treasury bills at the ports either well, that, that's a U.S. phenomenon. I'm, I'm really here. We're talking about U.S. Sorry, versus sorry, European. Yeah, yeah. But OK, fine. If I covered the European element, that's great. But there's a lot more to come as a result of shutting down the rest of the Ukrainian money laundering centers. I believe that the Russians shut down something like 70 to 80 percent. The rest are under Kiev mm -hmm. and their suburbs. Okay, just a, just a little fine point. I've been mentioning this before. Uh, treasury bonds have not been honored uniformly at, at the West Coast, principally Long Beach uh, ports. Uh, remember it was a year and a half ago or so, it was California truck emission standards. Okay, that was one false story. Uh, it was grotesquely exaggerated to explain the lack of import supply and flow at Long Beach. Now the false story is a labor union strike at the for the dock workers. That is also false, and it is being used to explain the big cut down, a big reduction in flow, import flow and volume at Long Beach. And remember, Long Beach is one of several. 
it's Oakland, California, and San Francisco. I mean, if you ever look at pictures of San Francisco, that whole area, the Bay Area, you see all these office buildings and high rises in San Francisco, and you look over across the Bay <laughs> to Oakland, and you see all the different cranes and the shipping yards. Uh, then you got Portland and Oregon, and you got two in Washington. Washington has got a lot of action. It's Tacoma and Seattle. Um, we've got problems now with legitimacy, validity, and exception, acceptance of treasury bills at the ports. So mm. I'm going to close with this comment that is a dire picture. The description is dire. As U.S. Treasury bonds are not purchased by foreigners, enemy and ally alike, we will have no buyers for U.S. government debt. We will resort to Zimbabwe monetization by our own debt. We will lose integrity. We will get debt downgrades. Not by the U.S., we will get debt downgraded by foreign entities. We will get divestiture that's already begun. Company is called Amundi. I think they're in France, but they might not be. They're in Central Europe. They just announced two weeks ago that they were removing all dollar-based assets in their portfolios. They're the largest asset manager in Europe. Wow. As the largest goes, so goes the continent. That's They're right. de-dollarizing. Okay, here's the dire part. No buyers of U.S. government debt. We're going to explode in the deficits. We're going to be ruined for our reputation. The Treasury bond will be regarded as trash. It will be picked up by the Fed as the bad bank. I just had my first public article in three years, the Fed is bad bank, ultimate irony. The Fed is going to become the garbage can, the toxic vat for treasury bonds. We're going to have tremendous difficulties importing. So if you expect your Toyota auto parts or your Toshiba laptop PC, think twice better get involved with the black market coming through Mexico and Canada. It's going to become a burgeoning market. The United States is going to suffer incredible price inflation in a non-uniform manner. Um, by that, I mean whatever is imported is going to go up in price. Whatever we make domestically, like, say, lumber, uh, like, say, bread, eggs, and in 26 weeks, the newborn chickens, <laughs> I love this, they became mature egg-laying hens. So the egg shortage was relieved in half a year. <clears throat> you no longer have $7 dozen eggs in California. I don't know what the price is. I would guess it's half that. Uh, by the way, price of a dozen eggs here in this little fraud ridden country um <laughs> is still about dollar 80 a dozen 
$1.70 a dozen. Yeah, we're doing fine. I monitor yogurt, eggs, and milk. I don't really monitor bread. And the reason why is that I don't eat it. Um, <laughs> That's I probably why bread. you're looking so good at age 71, Jim. Well, I'm not a fat guy. I, I got a little paunch. It's not much. Um, but due to dental problems, I've been losing some weight. <laughs> <laughs> Talk about irony, right? Yeah. Well, anyway, those dental problems are going to go away. I'm very grateful to a number of clients who have provided sponsorship aid. I encourage people to go to golden-jackass.com. Uh, the best way to support me is to sign up for the newsletter in droves. You know, if there are, you know, several thousand people watching this, I'd love to see dozens of new orders. That really helps me out. Uh, August is a difficult month coming up. Uh, it's vacation time and it's, it's a low cycle. Um, I, I offer consult services. I've, I just checked. It, it's 570. I've done 570. I got to say that probably 20 or 30 of them, 20 or 30 of them ended up being a gift. So I've done about 540 or 550. I did one a couple of days ago. I did one uh, late last week. I got another one this afternoon. Um, the sponsor button is for big time aid. Um, I had a few Christian people uh, just knock me, knock me flat with some aid. Um, they, they said the same thing. I'm, I'm producing a, a, a large voice on the hill, on the hill for the truth. Um, and being frontline, I'm at risk and I am at risk. I am being harmed. I think at times I'm not going to make it from um, wrongful deaths, bizarre events, fires, collapsed roofs, you name it, car crashes. I've gone through hell. And most of it has happened after 2017 when I began to speak openly about child trafficking and ritual murder killing uh, of children. Um, they don't like that. And I, I got to mention something, Patrick. I don't, I don't mind, you know, breaking out my Bible a little bit. Um, I have one client who read to me a passage, provided the passage, and I'll, I'll give you the gist of it. If a person is a voice of truth for the people in a, you know, in a large scale manner, this is very, you know, paraphrased, then expect constant attack from evil forces. Mm -hmm. But there's a rejoinder to that. And that is expect constant aid <clears throat> to lift me back up. <clears throat> I have told many people, my life is not my own anymore. I'm in a war. I have a role. I can't quit. I will not quit. So I will continue to be in the line of fire. I will be prudent as possible, not do stupid things to amplify my risk. There are topics like the ESF fund that Rob Kirby did not leave alone. I do leave alone. There's some elements of, of child crimes that I do leave alone, like harvesting uh, of you name it, organs and blood. There I said it. Um, but I hope and have faith for continued aid by good people, Christians and non-Christians. I've been the recipient of aid from a number of people who are really just 
good, fine people who say, Jim, I appreciate your work. You're, you're a soldier for the truth. And I'm going to, I'm going to help you out. I don't know about all this stuff where you got weird, bizarre events, but the day after I wrote a public article in June of 2020 interview with David Rockefeller from Hades, the next day there was a death and a $50,000 loss the next day. Took me two weeks to put those together. Mm. <clears throat> That's one reason I've not had a public article in close to three years. I was, just say, gun shy. But this new article I have goes hand in hand with the concept of great difficulties and challenges to sell treasury bonds, securitizing our government debt. We're going to have great difficulty, and that is where the failure comes. And let me close with this comment. There are people who say, Jim, the U.S. government will never permit a debt default. Well, obviously, we'll print money and cover our debt. But if there's a global boycott of our instrument for the debt, that's right. they will default us on the debt. Mm -hmm. They will assure an externally executed default and rejection of the U.S. government debt and its security called the Treasury bond. Thanks for having me on. I'm getting an incoming call. I got to take. Um, thanks All for right. having me on, Patrick. It's been great as always. And As uh, always, Jim. Thank you so much. Thank you, everybody out there for listening. Please support Jim's work. Check out the links in the description. I'll be back soon. God bless and Godspeed, everybody. Patriot out. All right. Thank you.